Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Well, hello all, uh, and welcome back to Pickled. Um, it, it's a pleasure to to be back here with you today. Um, my name's Hunter, and I'm going to be uh, finishing out 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, you heard from me last time, uh, last episode, and, and in that episode, I told you that we were going to finish 1 Peter 3 then. And what happened was, is in the midst of recording that episode— I realized something, um, and that is, one, that to combine the portion we looked at last week, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17, and combining that with 18 through 22, though 18 through 22 is much smaller, um, is going to be quite a beefy episode. And it's not that y'all can't handle it, but um, because I think I think you guys are up to the task. But... I think I think splitting it will will give some continuity and allow two kind of kind of separate ideas that are related they're all in the same letter stand for themselves in, in the ways that I think is going to be beneficial to us. Um I know that as I was thinking about it and um working through that it was beneficial for me. But because of this I, I want to make kind of an extension this week on the argument that was being made by Peter in our previous episode. Um, so in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17, Peter introduces this idea of suffering for the sake of righteousness. Um, and he tells believers that though you will face suffering due to your faith in Jesus, we are challenged to have unity of mind, sympathy for one another, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, um, and, and that when someone does evil to us, when we do suffer at the hands of evil, he, he reminds us not to repay evil for that. Rather, we should bless those. Um, we looked at how this echoes our Savior's words in the Sermon on the Mount to turn the other cheek. Bless those who, who mean harm to you. Jesus uh, noted in his Sermon on the Mount that that is an extension of God's will and God's character. Father, who loves and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And it brings us a blessing because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ear is inclined to hear their prayers. Though we will face suffering, we are challenged to be zealous for what is good and as a result, be ready to give an, give a a response to the person who asks us about the hope. When we suffer and do not play the game and do not enter into evil, people will ask, well, well, why not? And Peter says, be ready to give them an answer and do it with gentleness and respect. And so in, in the, the flow of the letter, that is where we are at. He, he closes that paragraph by noting that sometimes 
sometimes it is the God's will for us to suffer. And, and it is God's will sometimes for us to, it's always God's will for us to do good, but sometimes the result is suffering. And, and it's, it's kind of as if God is not going to just bend his will because we suffer. And, and Peter now in, in our passage today, he, he closes out that argument on Christian living and he's going to give us an example through the person of Jesus, tied to a sacrament of the church, of what it looks like to do what is right in the face of suffering, and how God can use our suffering, not just for a blessing for us, but as an extension, a blessing towards those around us. So we continue the letter in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 18, It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What's fascinating, and this is just a note about like the, the writing of Scripture and the writing of the Bible, their their language when Peter wrote this, it was likely written um, in Greek or a derivative language of their time that that would have been uh, common to those in the dispersion. They were not as concerned about like short pithy sentences. Like all of those verses is really two sentences, um, and and there's multiple these ver- these these sentences span multiple verses and they connect multiple ideas and add multiple layers of meaning within one sentence. And, and I think sometimes myself, I, I'm, I'm tempted to look at a, a portion of scripture and say, I'm asked four verses like, and I was tempted to put it in with the previous section. But Peter says a lot in, in a very little amount of time. And he introduces this section by, by telling us that Christ is our ultimate example of suffering for the sake of righteousness. He has just told his beloved audience, he calls them beloved, and he has told them that they they likely will, and many of them currently were, suffering for the sake of righteousness. And now he is going to connect that to Jesus, saying Jesus is our ultimate example of what it looks like and what it means to suffer for the sake of righteousness. Peter seems to be linking the process of suffering through the immense ways and the innumerable ways that God can use our suffering, ways that we could never even imagine. In Jesus' case, he suffered for the unrighteous. And I want to note here, I, I tell the teenagers that I work with often when um, there is concerns about how a friend is living. 
that until we were all saved, we were not. That is, Jesus suffered from the unrighteous. At the beginning of each of our stories, that was us. In suffering for the unrighteous, he died. He did die. He paid the price for sin, providing atonement, and thus bringing us to God, which Peter has highlighted at the beginning of his letter. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, literally while we were in the very act of spitting in God's face, Christ died for us. I want to note here also, before we really dive in, uh, dive in is going to be a funny joke here in a moment, um, that this is very active language regarding Jesus's role in our salvation. And the very passive language that is applied to us. Christ suffered that he might bring us. We are being brought. We are made alive. We don't do it. Christ does it for us. Jesus is the active agent in our salvation. He brings us to God. He was put to death. And then Peter says something, um, which it, it's one of these spots in the Bible. And, and I've found that often when I get to these, it's better to just, just kind of put this notion out there that this is one of those. Um, Peter says something that theologians and Bible historians I've kind of been arguing and puzzling over, like, and, and there's a handful of interpretation, or not interpretation, but there's a handful of of thoughts about what Peter is getting at and what this means, and they've been scratching their heads on it for a while. And, and I'm not going to purport that, well, we're going to solve this one today, um, because I'm sure that I, I will I will give my thoughts as I am convinced of them in the Spirit uh, but, I, but I am confident that there is someone out there who has a, a differing opinion. And, and I think that um, that notion is important. And I also think Peter did this on purpose. And I will, I will get to that in but a moment. Well, Peter says that in the Spirit, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison who did not obey in the days of Noah when only eight were saved via the boat. Number one, it's an incredible statement. Jesus in the spirit, he is made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. It's an incredible idea. There have been a number of different theories and and ideas put forth, offered to what is going on here. And I want to share a a couple of them with you. The first is scholars suggest that Jesus went and proclaimed victory to the fallen angels who had led humanity astray in the early days of the earth. Now, that is one thought. That Jesus went, he, he, at his death, in the time in between his death and resurrection, he, he went via the Spirit to these fallen angels and proclaimed victory to them. 
others suggest Jesus is proclaiming the gospel, or at least the picture or fulfillment of it, through the image of how God delivered Noah from the ark. Last, it has been posited that Jesus, in the Spirit, descended to where those who died prior to his death, in the Spirit, or do his death, and proclaimed victory to them. In other words, Jesus descended and took those who looked forward to God's fulfillment and brought them out of their time of waiting. Now, for various reasons, the third one, while that is a reality that we observe in other parts of Scripture, it doesn't fit the timeline. Um, it, it says that he is he goes to proclaim victory to those who like perished in the days of Noah, prior to the days of Noah. Um it's a weird it's weird language to use for pretty like all of the Old Testament saints. Um and so I I have to tilt my hand here, I tend towards the second option, which is that Jesus is proclaiming the gospel or at least a picture of it. it, it, it this is one example of the gospel taken from the Old Testament related to suffering through the image of how God delivered Noah from the flood via the ark. I think Jesus is communicating something about the nature of our future hope and how God will ultimately deliver us, even though through suffering. And then Peter uses this, and and he uses the picture of baptism related to Noah's ark as an example of how God has delivered his people in times past. Now, I want to know. I I said that I think Peter did this kind of strange connection in this. I, honestly, I think it's a strange note. Um, I I think he did it on purpose, having just spoken about humble mindedness and having a, a unity of mind. Um, it, it is at least interesting that after bringing up unity of mind and humble mindedness, he introduces what has kind of become a moderately difficult portion of scripture. And, and often when we get to these somewhat scratchy, I call them scratchy uh, portions of scripture, we make two mistakes. First, we focus too much on what we don't know and we get caught up in solving the puzzle to a point where we can't actually move forward. We actually get in kind of a gridlock. Um, and, and the second, we often fail to admit what we don't know. So we, we focus too much on what we don't know and we fail to admit it or that we don't fully understand. And I believe if we do, we often don't admit we could be wrong. So I'm here as your, your Bible teacher for this episode telling you I may be wrong. And I don't fully understand this this passage. It's the tension of Bible teaching. And, and for my money, as I read this, I am drawn to the idea that, that Peter is introducing Jesus' example of suffering, and he is tying it to what Jesus accomplished unknowingly to his followers, unknowingly, definitely, to the people in Noah's time, and the implications that, that Jesus' suffering had. It saved us, but it also had implications for the people in the days of Noah. And I think that's kind of the, at the heart of, of what Peter is getting at. Noah 
is used as an image here to connect suffering to baptism. And as a result, Peter desires to say something about the image and what happens at baptism. But one conclusion that we can draw is that Peter is making a claim that we often that we don't often know the extent to which our suffering can be used. God uses our suffering. He doesn't waste it. When Jesus died on the cross for the unrighteous, Peter here is suggesting that that may have even been impacted the unrighteous way back in the days of Noah. The extent to which God uses our suffering is beyond our understanding. In Jesus, the extent to which God uses suffering is, is, and uses the death of Jesus in itself is almost too difficult to comprehend. When we are saved by Jesus, we partake in his suffering. We identify with his death. But we also have this symbol of victory as we partake in his resurrection, looking for the day when we too share in it fully. Paul had a lot to say about the resurrected body in 1 Corinthians 15. And and for the Christian, we have this symbol, this institution we partake in, which symbolizes the believer's identification with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And, And it is our public proclamation of victory over sin in our life and public identification with our future victory over death because of the hope we have in Jesus. The Christian has the institution of baptism. I want to, I want to take a second as well and, and highlight something Peter says and give clarification lest we proceed with a wrong view. Peter makes a comment. He says, baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you. Peter makes this comment that that baptism, which corresponds to Noah's deliverance via the ark, now saves us. Now, baptism, I want to note here, and and I don't believe Peter is making this claim, and and I'll make my argument for why. Baptism saves no one. Just as the water did not save Noah, so too the water does not save us. The water in Noah's day was a symbol. It actually did produce the result, but it then also serves as a symbol for God's purification of sin. So too, Peter is arguing, when we are baptized, he says it is not a removal of dirt from the body, but it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. It is as if the water of baptism is a picture of us appealing to God. God, cleanse my conscience, cleanse my heart, make me more like Jesus. It is a picture. If we keep in mind what Peter has just said about Jesus bringing us to God, remember, we played a passive role in that. It is clear that the saving work of Jesus and the hope we have in his resurrection are what saves us. It is not baptism. Rather, baptism is a picture of that salvation. It is a picture of that victory. When we accept Jesus, 
The Bible is clear. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is our position which has changed before God. It is changed not by us, but by Jesus. At that moment, when we, when we are saved, when we put our faith in Jesus, Peter's highlighting something here. We're not yet fully perfected. We have not yet fully come into the realization of our future hope. We are still in this world and, as a result, still likely undergoing suffering. And as we grow, having identified with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we find that we are continually saved. Not, Not saved positionally before God, but sanctified to look more like Jesus. Baptism is our public declaration that we need Jesus for salvation, and we need Him for sanctification, and we are identifying with Him. Peter says, Baptism is our appeal to God for a good conscience, and it is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus. The way this works is, when we are baptized, we are identifying with with Jesus. That means that we are identifying with the fact that Jesus overcame sin, he overcame death, and was raised. So, too, when the believer is baptized, they are identifying with that victory that Jesus had over sin and death. They are publicly proclaiming, I want to stand, and I am saved by the Jesus who beat sin and death. We do well to remember the context that Peter discusses baptism. I think we can get bogged down in figuring out how Noah has found his way into 1 Peter. But Peter's writing to a group of suffering Christians. And so, yes, baptism is identifying with the victory we have in Jesus. But, but baptism has, and, and I, th- I think we do well to remember this today in the church. Baptism has just as much to do with identifying with Jesus' suffering as it does his victory. It is a symbol of both in the life of the believer. Because the reality is, for many in Peter's time, to be baptized, to be publicly identified as a Christian, would bring about more suffering. And so to say that, and goodness knows Noah suffered in his day, to publicly identify this and say, yes, I want to publicly proclaim that I have victory in Jesus, I think Peter's making the argument that you you also are publicly identifying with the suffering of Jesus. Jesus saves us. Baptism is an image of this, and she and should be a part of how Jesus continues to save us. I want to note here where Jesus is positionally. Peter says he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. That is victory indeed. And and we do well to, to stand in victory because of Jesus, having identified with Jesus through, resur- 
through baptism. But I think we, we cannot separate baptism from the suffering of Christ. I think that's the picture. When, when the believer is immersed, when they go under the water, I think that's the picture that Peter has in his brain when he brings up Noah. The water had a lot to do with suffering. He is writing to suffering Christians. And as a result, I would make the argument that baptism is, is just as much identifying with the suffering of Jesus as it is our victory in him. Peter is making another argument here that God uses our suffering to work out our faith, to make us more like Jesus. And when we publicly identify with the suffering of Jesus, it is as if we are saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I have aligned myself with you, both, both because I know about your victory, because I, I, I have this notion that I have no way of understanding the extent to which your suffering had implications both on the future and the past. But I also know that, that publicly identifying with your victory means publicly identifying with your suffering. It, it may mean signing myself up for suffering, if you will. And so I choose to do so. I would like to leave you with a verse at the center of these two sections. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. May these increase our zeal for God, despite suffering, as we focus on the future vindication and hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you, guys. We'll see you all soon. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries, and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.